Well, good morning, everybody. How's 10 o'clock doing? I want to welcome you this morning. I want to welcome our online campus as well, and maybe those of you that might be joining us later on podcast. You know, I, I wrestled with how is it that I might address you this morning on December 29th. I knew that we were going to have fun together. We were going to be going into God's Word, but do I say Merry Christmas, even though it's four days past Christmas, or, or do I say Happy New Year, and yet we're three days away from the new year? You know, we, we are currently living in between. We're living in between. And that just made me think about this. If you're one of our high school students, middle school students, I want you to pay close attention to this. If you're, if you're new to faith, would you lean in? If you're here today and you're, and you're just kind of exploring maybe who God is and the truths of Christianity, this is the foundation of who we are. You see, God loves us so much that he sent his son, Jesus, 2,000 years ago. We know this to be true. Historians proclaim this truth. It is not a myth. It's not a fable. Jesus is real. And he came and he lived here on earth and he lived a perfect life. He never messed up. He never made a mistake. And he did that and that qualifies him to be able to go to the cross and pay for all of your mistakes, all of your screw-ups, what we would say in church, for all of your sins. And because of that, we can surrender to him and say, Lord, I need help because I have made mistakes, but yet I hear that you love me in spite of that, and I can come to you all because of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. That Yes, he went through an unjust trial. Yes, he was murdered on a cross. And yes, he proved who he said he was because on the third day he rose. And in doing that, when he died, he paid a debt that he did not owe, and he paid a debt that we could not pay. But then he left. But he left with a promise. And the promise is, is that he's coming back. Because we hear about how good Jesus is. We hear about all that he's done. And yet we look around and go, this world is messed up. And there's too much evil and too much pain and too much suffering. But yet we have the promise that he is coming back and there will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more tears. There will be no more death. And Jesus and God himself will live amongst his people. And so even in the difficulty of now, we have the hope for the future. And so if we have the assurance of the cross and the resurrection, and we also have the hope of what's to come, how do we live in the in-between? How do we live in what's hard right now, in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering? Those things don't disqualify God's existence. But it's because of those things that God came in the first place to set everything straight. And the cool thing is, is that he helps us in the in-between. That's why I love the book 2 Timothy. It's an opportunity for a man to pour into another man. Paul is writing a letter to Timothy. Paul was one of the first missionaries. It's 2 Timothy because it's the second letter that we have that was written to him. And in it... He is saying that he is close to death, and he's calling Timothy his son, even though that is not biological. This happens through their relationship, a son in the faith, if you will. It's a very intimate letter. You'll see that in just a few moments with some of the things that are written. But Paul knew that he had an opportunity to drop little pearls of wisdom into Timothy's life, and he does that. 
I'd love to do a series on this because the, the things that I'll talk about today, they're not even close to what it's called. I'd, I'd call the series Second Thoughts. I think it'd be great. Uh, who knows? We'll see what happens someday, maybe a class or something like that. But we're going to pour into Second Timothy starting in chapter 1. This letter is from Paul. Chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I have sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. I am writing to Timothy, my dear son. May God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. I love that Paul calls out the women in Timothy's life and gives them honor for how they led him and how they discipled him in the ways of Jesus. Jumping forward to chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. You see, there's this opportunity where Paul is saying, I realize that as my life is coming to an end, that if I will finish strong, that will lead to an even stronger beginning. If I finish strong... It'll lead to an even stronger beginning. And as we're in this rhythm of our culture where we come to the end of a year, 2019, and we're moving towards 2020, it's just one of those times where we, fin- we realize we can finish strong so that we can have even a stronger beginning in 2020. Just, just stop and think for a moment. <clears throat> Excuse me. Who, who is it in your life that's poured into you? Can you think of some moments? Just some, some pearls of wisdom or, or, or nuggets that were dropped into your life or, or things that helped you. I, I think of my grandpa, Jim Snodgrass. He was a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. He taught me how to carry money in my wallet. All the bills face the same way. You put the, the larger bills in the back and get smaller as you come forward. And it helps you keep up with how much money you have. And it's just the right way to carry cash. And if you look in my wallet today, it'll be very organized. It might, might surprise you because if you've ever looked in my office, it's not. Quit laughing, Hector. And so uh, it just, it's just things that, that teach that just help you in life. I think of my, of my stepmom, Mary Margaret, of Italian descent. And I'm in the kitchen with her one day, cooking with her, and she was, she was making spaghetti, and I wasn't paying attention. And all of a sudden, she goes, wham, and slams her hand down on the counter. I jumped about three feet. I'm like, Mary Margaret, what are you doing? She says, I'm peeling garlic. And I'm like, you just smashed it. You can't do that. And she's like, you're about to cut it up or run it through a press, right? And I'm like, oh, that's a good point. And she goes, watch. And all the peel came off. And I can't tell you how long I tried to peel, you know, off the the peel of of garlic and get it under my fingernails and everything. She taught me something different, something new. Made my life better. Or think about my mom. My mom had me when she was 18 years old. Was a single parent for a while in the early parts of my life, the early years of my life, and I learned from her a tenacity and a, and a, and a loyalty and a passion for life. I also learned that if you, if you work hard and you dedicate yourself to whatever it is that God's put before you, that the sky's the limit. It's amazing what she's poured into my life. We get to see it lived out here 
mean, think about it. Our senior teaching minister, Rick Atchley, who's been preaching here for 30 plus years. And we also have Taylor Walling, another teaching minister that we have. Rick is 30 plus years his senior, but he's pouring in to Taylor. And we're seeing Taylor develop and mature before us. And we benefit from that. But we're also seeing the influence that Taylor's having on Rick as well. And how it goes both ways. The cool thing was, I didn't know this, I was in Florida recently and, and I, those two guys were down there on a, on a preaching retreat and preparing for 2020 and, and just what it was going to look like this year. And I happened to run into them and I'm like, oh, we ought to take a picture together. And so I want to show you this picture that we took together down in, down in Florida. So that's Rick on the right and, and, and Taylor on the left. Hey, just to be clear, they were not on a preaching retreat in Florida, okay? So don't worry, that didn't happen. Plus, I don't want them to get any ideas that they might try to do that. But hey, for just a moment, can we thank them for just think about how they've poured into us in 2019 and honor them? So just like whoever it is that's poured into you, how Rick's poured into Taylor, I want this, you to see how Paul's going to finish strong so that Timothy can have an even stronger life. And I want to pull out a few nuggets that he gives to Timothy. First one will be in 2 Timothy 1.3. I've already read it. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Night and day. You see, their strength comes from prayer. Strength comes from prayer. And I just want to park here for a minute because somewhere along the way, Prayer got, it got hijacked. I, I think it's misunderstood. I think people are scared. I think there's a, there's, they're fearful. Are they doing it right? Are they not? I also think that it's grossly underutilized in the church today. Somewhere along the way, we thought, man, we had, we had to do it with this kind of strict formality, and it had to happen this way, and, and maybe we even had to hold our hands the right way, and it had to be for the, the right amount of time, or, or, or even worse, we're, we're we approach God and, and we're scared. I'm not talking about the fear of the Lord that's holy, but I'm just talking about being scared. It's kind of like when Kylo Ren has to approach the supreme leader Snoke, you know, and like we think we might get thrown around the room a little bit or our airways might get constricted or, you know, something happens that God's just mad all the time. Yes, there should be some reverence and even some formality at times when you talk to the creator of the universe but never at the sacrifice of intimacy. You're talking to your dad. You're talking to the one who made you. And also, can we, can we move away from this idea, the way that we evaluate if we have a healthy prayer life is how many yeses we get from him? Can we see the value in some of his no's? You know, my daughter, I can remember when she was probably around four years old, if it were up to her, I, I'm pretty convinced every meal she would eat at Krispy Kreme Donuts. And she asked almost every meal as well. The hard part is, is I kind of wanted to have every meal there as well. But as I told her no, I wasn't just, it wasn't just a no. And I wasn't angry at her asking. But it gave me an opportunity to talk to her about nutrition. To talk to her about why it's important to eat different things. And, and there's a place for things like donuts. That's Saturday mornings and that's what our rhythm is now. But it's not every meal. Because you see, even in the no's. We're being transformed. There's strength that comes and communicate. You know what? Any relationship that you have, you can look at its health by looking at its communication. It's not any different with God. And that's why praying, that's why talking to him. Just think, you're just, you're talking to him. And here's the other thing. There's not a time limit. You ever heard of an arrow prayer? You know, there's just this quick thing that, you, you know, you shoot up. 
all you empty nesters that are here, all of you that maybe have been separated from a loved one for a while, or whether it's a a child, a spouse, who knows, (coughs) a friend, excuse me. And think about if you got a text, and all it said was, I love you. All it said was, hey, I'm thinking about you. All it said was, how you doing? Touches you. Touches your heart. So as you're driving down, and maybe it's driving down the road, maybe it's a sunset or, or a sunrise or something, and you see that, and you're like, oh, Dad, that's awesome. I love you. Shoot those up. They have an impact on him. It gives you strength, and it impacts him. Proverbs 15, <clears throat> verses 8 and 29 say the following. The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but he delights in the prayers of the upright. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. And guess who the righteous is? It's you. He who knew no sin became sin so that you could become his righteousness. You bring pleasure to the Lord when you talk to him. And there's strength that's available to you as well. Another nugget that Paul gives to Timothy is in 2 Timothy 1.7. This is big. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and Love and self-discipline. Do you see how that opened? God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity. Paul in that moment isn't just telling us what God hasn't given us, but he's also letting us know that there's something that exists. And that something or some things are spirits of fear and spirits of timidity. I'm convinced that there are people in this room this morning. That whenever you experience fear in your life, every single time you think it has to do with something that is inadequate about you, something that is broken within you, has to do with some decision that you made however many years ago, and you are just destined to have to carry around fear and be a fearful person for the rest of your life, and it's all your fault. And that verse teaches us that they have an enemy, and that enemy is against us, and he sends spirits to influence us in a negative way to either try to keep us from the Lord or keep us on the sideline once we've said yes to him. And we don't have to give in to that because he didn't give us a spirit of fear or timidity, but one of power, love, and self-control or self-discipline. And so there's strength that comes from Holy Spirit because that's who he's given us. And he lives within us. You know what it says? The Bible says that God is love. God is love. If God is love, you know what the, one of the results of that is? 1 John 4, 18. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. He's given you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will help expel all of the fear in your life. Romans eight eleven says this, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will live He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. I've spent a majority of my life not realizing the power of who is within me. There was a season in life before I was a minister and was in business and we had a project that failed and it just made me very fearful and it it continued to make me fearful And so I was looking for ways that things were going to fail and other projects that were going to fail. And I was just, I was living differently than I normally live. And it was freaking my wife out. And so one morning, I wake up and she goes, "Uh, Honey, I did something last night. And I'm like, Okay, what what does that mean? She says, Well, I, I sent an email. I said, Okay, what does that mean? 
She said, well, you've just been very fearful lately. And you hadn't been yourself. And the enemy's winning. And so I sent an email to Rick Ashley and Morton Jeffrey and Phil Martin. and Like all these giants in my life who I want to think that I'm strong and that I've got this taken care of. And there was just incredible vulnerable moment where she said, my husband is hurting and he needs you to fight for him. And my first inclination was to kind of rise up and go, why would you do that? But luckily the spirit said, you know, she's speaking truth. And you know what happened? Things changed and the fear started to go away. Because men were standing and fighting for me in a season when not only that I couldn't, but I didn't even know that I could. Because here's the deal. 1 John 4, 4 says this, because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. You can fight against those spirits of fear and timidity, and you do it by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, and you tell them to leave, and they have to because all power and authority in heaven on earth have been given to Jesus. Amen? So when you encounter fear in 2020, get to fighting and do it in the name of Jesus. Another nugget for you, 2 Timothy 1.9. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. It's crazy, but strength comes from holiness. And you've got to be reminded this morning that you don't make yourself holy. It's God who has made you holy. He has given you the Holy Spirit. He has set you apart. And it is from that that you now pursue, you live a holy life. He's done it before. He's done all the work. And as he set us apart, it impacts how we live. So Romans 8, 12, and 13 says this. So therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. Jump forward four chapters. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Did you catch that? Because of all he has done for you. He's done all of the work. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You see, sometimes we get in this notion that when pursuing holiness, it just means that all the good is going to be taken out of our life. All the joy is going to be taken out of our life. We're going to have all these rules. We're going to be so constrained and we're just going to walk around like robots and there could be nothing. It's so far from the truth. I'll tell it to you like this. So as a minister, at times I do premarital counseling. And if I've got a couple coming in, especially a couple that I don't know, I'm always starting with the gospel. We're always laying the foundation of who Jesus is, who God is, that he came, he died for the forgiveness of their sins. So they've got to live from that truth because they're going to be called to a life of holiness that they've been made made holy. But how are they going to do that? And they have to do it by the power of the Spirit. And then at some point, by just the nature of that season of life, I've got to come to the question. 
And the question is, so you guys honoring the Lord in your relationship? It's a really churchy way of saying, so you guys having sex yet? Are you living out of sequence? And, and I got to tell you, as, as uncomfortable as it is to be asked that question, especially if you're not, it may be just as uncomfortable asking it. And I was talking to Chris Hatchett about it one day. Chris is a campus minister over at Southlake, but also have had roles over here. And a man who's blessed this church for 25 plus years. Incredible dear friend of mine. And again, one of those times that I needed to lean into him and his wisdom. And I was just telling him how I just was struggling with that. And I knew I needed to ask it, but I just, it was just, he's like, David, you're not trying to make people feel guilty. You're not trying to call them out. You're trying to cast some vision of, of how their life can be better. And, and, and what if all of a sudden now you're talking to them and, and saying, hey, so how are you honoring the Lord in your purity? And if, and if their virginity isn't intact and they aren't doing that, but now you get to say, hey, might you consider that you guys would make that decision now and that you would abstain from sex? And now, regardless of how long it is from today until the day it is that you get married, maybe it's in a week, maybe it's in five months, but whatever it is, that decision where you said, Lord, we want to honor you and we're going to live a holy life and we want to bring that to you on our wedding night and we're going to ask you to bless that so that that'll be a blessing on our marriage. I was like, I can do that. You see, holiness is about what is perfect and pleasing and good in our lives. And God always wants that for us. Always. And it gives you strength. Dated my wife for 17 months. It's a long time. It's a long time to wait. But what I communicated to her is that she was worth waiting for. What I communicated to her is that she was more than just physical satisfaction for me. And now when there's times that that our careers might separate us for maybe even two weeks at a time, she has confidence that I'll wait till we come back together because I waited in the beginning. You see, there's strength that comes from holiness. Galatians 5, 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Spirit is greater than the flesh, greater than your sinful nature, and He will lead you into a life of holiness. Here's another nugget for you. 2 Timothy 2 1, moving into the second chapter. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. Be strong through the grace. You see, strength comes from grace. Grace means unmerited favor. Unmerited, you didn't earn it. Didn't deserve it, favor, something that was given to you, it was free. God has given you that. That is a gift that you accept and when you surrender to him, recognizing that you can't do things on your own. You ever heard the saying, uh, dance like you do when nobody's watching? You know, in other words, this idea of if you're self-conscious about, about dancing, just how do you dance when nobody's there? When all you're doing is listening to the music and and feeling the beat and, and whatever all of that looks like. And, and, and you just dance uninhibited. And it's a beautiful thing. I'd, I'd show you, but you're all watching. And so that kind of defeats the, defeats the point. <laughs> Plus, there's just some things that you can't unseen. 
that would be one of those things. It'd only be worse if I started singing while I was doing it. But what if we lived out of the assurance of the grace that has been given to us? What if we lived out of the assurance of the eternal gift that God has given us? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believed in him would have eternal life and would not perish. Eternal, eternal lasts a long time, like forever. And we get to live from that assurance. We get to live from that covering. We get to live from that truth of who God says we are. And that we cannot out the grace that Jesus has given us. But also that you were made in the image of God. And in that image, that is his character. And I believe that when you understand the gift that's been given to you, and the more and more you lean into that, the less and less you want to sin. Grace is not a license to sin, but it is a gift that is given to us that changes us not only for eternity, but for today. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. How does he understand our weaknesses? For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Strength comes from grace. So church, here comes the challenge part. If we're living from a position that we realize that our lives are strengthened when we pray, they're strengthened by the presence of the Holy Spirit living within us, They're strengthened because we have been made holy and we are living differently. And there's blessings that come from that. If we're strengthened because of the the assurance of grace in our lives, that doesn't put us in a place where we go, whew, I'm just going to sit back now and that was good. And Oh man, I can't wait for either Jesus to come or he calls me home. We got work to do. But it's out of that. It's a response to a response to what God has done for us. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, 2 Timothy 2.2. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Again, this is Paul talking to Timothy. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Do you see the four generations in that verse? Paul talking to Timothy saying, go and teach people that will then go and what? Teach people. Who was it that taught you about Jesus? And who is your one? The generation before you. You're that generation. Now you're pouring into your one, that next generation. And as you're pouring into your one, it's not just so that they'll say yes, but it's that they'll become a disciple who makes disciples. And you're saying, now who is your one and who will you go and teach so that they can become a follower of Jesus as well? Because you see, their strength comes from sharing. Strength comes from sharing. Because when you share, not only is somebody hearing the good news, but you're also hearing it. You can't share it without listening. You can't share it and tell your story without being reminded of what God's done for you. And there's power that comes from that. Acts 1.8. This was in my last sermon too. I love this verse, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. What do witnesses do? They testify. 
telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. If you are a witness, you have been called to testify and you are to testify on your life and to give your testimony because Revelation twelve eleven says this, and they have defeated him. Him is Satan. Him is the enemy. They have defeated him. How? By the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Sorry I spoke over you, but we can celebrate that truth, right? Are you kidding me? God is saying he's going to take the blood of the lamb and he's going to stack it up with my story? They're not equal. I'm not saying that. But I am saying he uses them in unison to change the world, to change your life, to change your family, to change your children, to change your spouse, to change your coworkers. To change other students that are in the same class that you're in. To change our community. I want to read a story to you that Andy Stanley opened one of his books with. Made a trip to China. He's giving, getting a tour of a, of a leather factory. And the, the head of the factory is, has asked if there's a young lady that can come and shadow this because she's being moved into management. She's being poured into. She's being developed. And Andy's like, yeah, sure. And so here's what happens. Two hours later, after the tour, we were back in his office for a quick recap. As we wrapped up, he asked, does anyone have any questions? To all our surprise, raising her hand to shoulder level, our shadow spoke up. I have a question, she said. Turning to me, she asked, are you a pastor? I had no idea where this was going. I had not introduced myself as a pastor. I wasn't even sure it was okay that I was a pastor. We were in China. For all I knew, she was a government plant assigned to follow us around all afternoon. Yes, I said, I'm a pastor. What she said next in her beautiful, broken English caused the hair to stand on the back of my neck. How good is good enough? I recognize your voice. I was stunned. How Good is Good Enough is the title of a little book I had recently published. The manuscript was based on a message I had preached years earlier. She continued, Two years ago, someone gave me a CD of your sermon, How Good is Good Enough. I listened to it over and over. Then I asked Jesus to save me and live inside me. Before, I was empty. Now, I am full. She went on. I wanted to go to church, but there are no churches in my city. I began attending a Bible study in an apartment close to where I live. Sometimes I ride the bus to church, but it's two hours, and I'm always late. The bus ticket is expensive, and I don't know anyone at the church. I was both honored and humbled, but she wasn't finished. Looking to her boss... She said, can I ask the pastor another question? He nodded. Pastor, she said, why doesn't everyone in America go to church? I still haven't recovered from her question. I had no idea how to respond. I still don't. How do you explain thousands of empty churches to a young lady who would ride two hours to attend a church in another town? A young lady who would be there every time the door was opened if there was a door to open. 
The Bible study she attended was part of a network of underground churches, what the Chinese government refers to as unregistered churches. Her participation put her at risk. Owning a Bible put her at risk. Talking about attending church in front of her boss put her at risk. I don't remember how I responded. I said something entirely forgettable, but I haven't forgotten her question. It's bothered me ever since. So why doesn't everybody in America go to church? Why is the church so resistible? Jesus wasn't. Once upon a time, his church wasn't either. Here's the deal, Hills Church. I know you. I see how you live. You live irresistibly. I see how you give. You give irresistibly. I see how you serve. You serve irresistibly. You are an amazing bride of Christ. And yet, as we look back on our 2020 vision, we're about to plant our, partner with our 34th church plant in Babylon, New York. They launched January 5th, Lou and Ali Pizzicillo Community Church. It's going to be a beautiful thing. We've increased our missionaries 27 that we send all over the world. We helped start a university, Livingstone International University. 1,200 of you went on short-term mission trips. Another 100 were missionary specialists that had a special skill that you could go and support a long-term missionary effort. It's amazing what has transpired in the midst of our 2020 vision. And yet, and some will argue with this, men that I love and respect, and we have fun conversations about it, but another part is, is that we would have 8,000 people that we would reach. We've reached 8,000. But to my heart, and I believe to Rick's as well, what that meant was that we would average 8,000 folks on a weekend. And it's not because we're insecure, and it's not because we look at how many people are here, and that's what gives us confidence. But it's because we know what God's doing in this place, and we know that the Spirit is alive here and leading people and filling people here. And as there are more and more people that are coming to this church on a regular basis, there are more and more lives and communities that are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And so in 2020, we've got some work to do, church. And we're going to be imploring you, To bring people with you. And it's not that we're asking you, hey, go make an invitation so you can bring people to church so that we can reach them. No, it's that we want to help you reach the people that God has put in your life that they think they are far from God, but they're close to you, which means that they're close to God. And yes, coming here is going to be a part of what that looks like. But I want you to know that as you live your life each and every day from somebody who sees you on a regular basis and is inspired by you, you can make Jesus irresistible and you can make his church irresistible. And that is the life that we want to live moving in to 2020. I want to close with these final words that Paul wrote to Timothy. May the Lord be with your spirit. And may his grace be with all of you. Will you pray with me, please? Dear Heavenly Father, oh, Lord, we love you. Thank you for today. Lord, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you promised that you're going to do. Lord, we get strength by talking to you, by praying. We get strength from your Holy Spirit who lives within us. 
Jesus said that we're going to do more after he leaves because we're going to get the Spirit and he's going to go and be at your right hand. We get strength from pursuing holiness. We get strength from grace. And out of all of that, Lord, it positions us in only ways that you can that we also get strength in sharing who you are and in telling our one. And so, Lord, as we say goodbye to 2019, and whether that was one of the years that we it can't get in the rearview mirror soon enough, or it's one of the best years of our life, help us see what we can take from that as we move into 2020. Because here's the thing I know, Lord. The best is yet to come. We love you, and we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.